This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. And I hope I find you well. This is episode 101. That's right, we broke into triple figures on the last podcast, which incidentally went down quite well, despite it being about those boring games. And it is still there to listen to on threelinespodcast.com or your chosen podcast provider. And speaking of which, a lot of the episodes are now available on YouTube. Again, just search Three Lines Podcast. I did do a couple a while back with subtitles for a listener who was hard of hearing and got in touch with me. Now I found a way of uploading them instantly, so a little bit easier. Uh, There's no moving pictures, it's just the same audio recording, but via YouTube. Uh, So if you do know someone who has hearing difficulties, the option is there to put the subtitles on. So if you know someone who may benefit from it, then please, by all means, please let them know about it. Now, last Thursday, the 25th of June, some exciting news was released. The venues for the 2023 Women's World Cup. Obviously, should the Lionesses make it. But the winners of the bidding in a joint effort were Australia and New Zealand. They came ahead of Colombia. Japan and Brazil, though, they'd also shown previous interest but pulled out earlier in the race. Of course, it was held in France last year where 24 nations competed. Next time, it's going to be 32, which I have to say, I am a little sceptical about. With all due respect, though, to the status of the women's game, but the Men's World Cup was 24 teams in 1982, only increasing to 32 in 1998. And it's bad enough that the 2026 tournament is supposed to be 48 nations. But on the whole, a good point for the women's game. A European Championships in 2022 and a World Cup a year later? The possibility of the Lionesses winning both? Who knows? And of course, if it's a successful tournament, then maybe they will be considered for the men's in due course. And having personally been to six of the designated grounds, I'd like to think they'll do a good job. Although it is going to be a pain for TV viewing back here though, isn't it? And then the following day, Friday 26th of June, the exact dates for the Nations League games were announced. They are, in September, away to Iceland, Saturday the 5th, away to Denmark on Tuesday the 8th, into October, home to Belgium, Sunday the 11th, home to Denmark on Wednesday the 14th, then into November, away to Belgium, Sunday the 15th, and home to Iceland on Wednesday the 18th. Now, the original draw and dates were made on the 2nd of March, which seems a lifetime ago now. But from what I can gather, done a a little scratching around, the first two fixtures away to Iceland and Denmark are the only two that remain the same from the original schedule. So worth checking any flights you may have made. Although at this moment in time, still no confirmed news as to what the situation is regarding us as spectators. And indeed, no one knows what the future holds, which seems an incredibly obvious thing to say, but just (laughs) feel the need to. 
Now, you may remember a while back, we spoke to Marco Kunawa, a German-England fan. Well, on the back of that, I have spoken with another foreign England fan. And that chat is coming up very soon, which I hope you will enjoy. But first, though, something slightly different. I was given the opportunity to speak with a broadcast journalist about what it's like to be within the confines of a football stadium in these current times. And I thought it was too good and too interesting to turn down. So to start with in this episode, this is my chat with Tom Gale. Now, something not directly England-related, but something I'm sure you'll be interested in hearing about. Of course, football is back, whether you agree with it or not. The Premier League and the Championship return to England after a break of 100-plus days. Of course, apart from players and staff, very few people are allowed within that stadium area. But I'd like to welcome Tom Gale, football broadcast journalist to the Three Lions podcast, who has been privy to a few games. Tom, hello there. Hello, mate. Yes, very lucky, Russ. Very lucky to be one of those few who is allowed in. So you are a a football broadcast journalist working for the likes of the BBC or Sky ITN. Um, You've been to uh, Huddersfield Wigan at the point of speaking and and Villa Chelsea. What's it like? What's what's it like for you? The protocol, the atmosphere, what's it like on the on the inside? Well, it's sort of been brewing, hasn't it, for a while, I guess, because obviously, you know, in line with government legislation, that's where we started to, over time, get a feel that, wow, you know, football is going to happen. And particularly as a freelancer, you know, this is, and for purely selfish reasons, this is a large part of my income. So I was definitely very excited. But as of all the whole of football, it's been a situation that's been treated with huge amounts of respect. So, Lots of planning, lots of communication. There was talk of maybe whether I could do the reporting from home. So watching it on the telly and still connect to radio stations from home. But obviously through time, we we were, it was granted that members of the media would be allowed access to the stadium. Uh, the cl- All clubs have been in communication well in advance. So sending out basically the strict guidelines that we all need to follow. So even prior to attending the games, you had to fill in questionnaires, provide risk assessments just to, in order that your name gets ticked off, that you're allowed entry. Um, and then Normally, uh, those who are familiar with the broadcasting world, we can't get there early enough. You know, people want to get in there a good few hours before to ensure all connections are in place, everything's stable. You're speaking to your producers, your editors, they can hear you. That's by and large degree been massively slashed. So now we're we're allowed in a maximum of an hour and a half before the kickoff time. So the, that's standard across all EFL fixtures and the Premier League. Well, they, even then, there is this, obviously the opportunity to be still turned away. And the, the main reason for that is the temperature checks. So we submit our health questionnaire. By and large, a lot of that will be no. I've not had contact with people with, with COVID and whatnot. Standard stuff like that. But ultimately, I guess the big decisive factor is the temperature check. So a lot of these, you know, you go up to a screen. It does all that for you. Weird and wonderful world that we live in. And you can just literally look at a screen. It reads your temperature. You get the AOK and obviously then you're allowed to proceed in. So uh, you have to wear a mask at all times when 
enter, when inside the stadium or inside the complex. The only time you're allowed permission to take it off is if when you're actually broadcasting. So for me as a commentator reporter, there is that. But for example, the written uh, boys and girls who are there also in the, in the tribunes, they literally keep they have to keep their masks on for the whole duration. Um, press room, so there is no press room. There's no media gathering area for teas and coffees, networking, chit-chat or, you know, food. It's literally you go to your seat uh, and then there is, as with social distancing, there's like adequate room between all of your colleagues and peers um, before, obviously, kickoff. Mate. So that, that, that sets you the scene as regards to getting in there. So we've seen various people in the stands, I guess people like yourselves. Um, mm-hmm. You're actually sitting in the seats that regular punters would be sitting in, supporters would be sitting in, are you? I think, well, if not, I think probably not for, particularly for radio broadcasters because basically we have a lot of infrastructure that's already in the press seats so you know the way we connect to radios those ports we need to be sat close to them but you are right that for example written journalists who by and large just need somewhere to put their laptop and access to the wi-fi you are correct they they have been literally sat where you know a few months prior to that i'd have lots of fans behind me you know probably not happy with what i've had to say or so forth but now it is it's it's socially distanced written journalists who are like i say sat in uh, normally where the fans are sat so you can you can give a wave to your colleagues around you can you yeah definitely it's, and, and like i say it all it's always at the set you know we're very privileged to be there and, and effectively no one really wants no one wants to spoil it at all do they no. so everyone very respectful ensures that there's always the adequate gaps and because obviously i guess that that concept of you only out in a short amount of time in and once the action starts you're obviously focused on that half time normally you'd go and grab a coffee or ever a bit of a chinwag again again you just you just stay put uh, and then full time um that's where it's perhaps a little bit different for myself so either I've been going down and doing pitch side interviews, which is completely new now of this holding your microphone on a big pole. Uh, you sort of sat the other side of the barriers or for the writ- for, for my written colleagues, they all get access to a zoom zoom oh. code. So again, they're normally, they're normally used to attending media suites where the manager, the players walk in, throw questions at them. Now it's, they all get granted a code the manage each manager and and uh, at the very least will be doing a zoom um press conference afterwards that's after they've done all their tv and radio commitments so all the written colleagues they get access to a, a zoom code and they're allowed in to ask questions via zoom uh, yeah so and you mentioned the action there what's in front of you what you're you're reporting back on what is it like to see these players in action but without the influence of a crowd around them are they affected do you think in that sort of manner well it's interesting because obviously there's no fans that's standard across all fixtures that are happening throughout england but each club i guess has perhaps conducted their own players and staff and managers and decided what they've gone to do for other i've been at um one the game in the championship i was at they were pumping in crowd noise and atmosphere the Premier League game I was at, it was stone silence. So there is that differentiation. Slight differences with the Tannoy. The Aston Villa Tannoy was full and booming and large <laughs> effect. Whereas Huddersfield, it, it was very reserved. So again, it's that. And I suppose for all those members of staff, they're used to hearing their voices reverberate from a packed house. And likewise, they're bumping out tunes to really get the atmosphere going. That's still going on. But obviously, there's no one 
to sort of reciprocate and and feed off that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the action, I don't. I, you, for those who've watched it, it's not out the gate. You know, high packed, high tempo games do seem to take a while to build into because we have to take for granted, as you said at the start, over a hundred days, three months of not being competitive. You know, training you can only replicate that to a certain degree. But now the the face of that scenario of points on the line, there's an opposition. You know, so it, it's teams are feeling each other out. And yeah, lots of obviously you're hearing all that's being said from managers, from players, uh, from officials even. So that, that's been very interesting. But it, it just it has just felt really weird. I, I say it's like it's like you're looking in on this secret thing that's going on, particularly when you're there in the moment, because obviously, you know, from the outside, when you're on telly, you see its builders, the championship, Sky, you know, Sky doing BT, BBC doing a great job of you know, football's back, it's amazing, it's amazing. But when you're there in the stadium, it does feel so lonely and eerie that you have to just remind yourself every now and again that this is actually proper football in front of you. Yeah, very strange times indeed. But hopefully we can, uh, obviously we'll, we'll get this, the back end of this season out of the way and and hopefully can look forward to to a new season with maybe, um, I hear there's talk of maybe reduced crowds. Uh, I know France are, are potentially looking at that. Um, it may well happen here maybe sooner rather than later. We, we don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, well, I think a lot, I guess it's, Someone needs to set the tone, don't they? Like you said, I think it already is taking place abroad. I know there's talk in England of uh, cricket. You know, I remember the old the old Trafford. So the Lancashire CEO, he reckons he could get around about six to seven thousand into Old Trafford, socially distanced, you know, and doing that safely. But mm. as with all these things, it has to be signed and sealed off by the government. And I guess the overriding thing is until the the death rate and infection rate dramatically gets really low i can't see anyone unfortunately other than that essential personnel of club staff and players media health and safety all all those essential things for these to go ahead i can't see that changing anytime soon i'm afraid yeah well i I think that is the key thing health and safety is is paramount in this as has been said all along uh tom thank you very much for your time really appreciate it you're on twitter aren't you Yes, I am yet. Yeah. Tom underscore Gale, G-A-Y-L-E, just to be specific on the spellings yet. Yeah. And, you know, certainly for the next month or so, I'm going to be here, there and everywhere around the country attending football games as we, what's going to be a very exciting end to both the championship and the Premier League seasons. Oh, you're a lucky chap. Uh, look after yourself, stay safe. And uh, yeah, perhaps we can uh, catch up again at some stage. Look forward to it, Ross. You stay safe too, pal. Cheers. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast as we're going global once again. Uh, this time we're going to Norway and an England fan from over there, Andre Cliven. Hello, Andre. Hello, and thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. You're our, you're our first Norwegian correspondent, as it were. Um, I'm very happy to be. Where, whereabouts are you in Norway? Um, I live on the west coast, in the southwest coast, in um, in Bergen. It's the second largest um, city of Norway. Okay, very nice. So I've heard about Bergen. I've heard um, nice things about Norway. It's not somewhere that I've been to yet, but it is it is very much on my radar. It's not one of these places I'd like to get to. Good. 
I've been put in touch with you by a fellow England fan, Dean Cornish, um, yes. who's recommended you. And, and we, we've just been speaking off air that you've got some some good stories about how you met Dean and, and various other England supporters. We'll, we'll get on to that. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am 42 years old. I work as an airline pilot. Um, and I have been for all my life just a big fan of football in general. And um, so it's a big interest for me. And um, yeah, like uh, everyone else, I'm kind of missing it uh, over the last couple of months. But we'll get through this. Yeah, of course. I mean, being a being an air pilot, an airline pilot, are you are you grounded, as it were? I guess. No, actually, we're not. It's a it's a strange story. But I fly for a uh, regional airline in Norway, and we're partly government subsidized. So, for the last few weeks, we've actually been the largest airline in Europe in in number of flights. So it's been a strange situation for us. So we're it's not quite business as usual, but um, we're not hurt the way. Yeah. Others are in the business now. Oh, that, that's good to hear. Uh, and one, one silly question, I, I guess. Um, have you ever flown yourself to a uh, an England game? I haven't. No, <laughs> I was. Uh, but that's not that's not a silly question because during the um, the World Cup in in Russia, we had uh, a couple of charter flights going over there. So I was kind of disappointed that I missed out um, on that. But I do have flown. I believe over the years I have arranged myself um, on my free time five charter flights from Bergen to Manchester, flying um, Manchester United fans over for for the games, and we kind of arranged the whole whole um, the whole deal. And I'm not a Manchester United supporter myself; it was just something we did for fun, just for the um, yeah for the joy of it. Yeah. Oh right. Well, one thing you did tell me, you say you're not a Manchester United fan. You're actually a, uh, an AFC Wimbledon supporter. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I actually, it's, uh, it's trying to make a long story short, but I grew up as a Liverpool supporter. But as I got older and as the Premier League and everything got more and more involved with money, um, I kind of distanced myself a little bit from it. Um, so when, um, when Wimbledon broke up and they moved to Milton Keynes and the supporters did what they did, the fantastic way of, of starting their own team just for the love of the game and for the love of the of the real Wimbledon. I was watching this from Norway and I was thinking, wow, this is what I need right now. This is really what I need. This is my core value of, of football. And so I pretty much started following them back in 2002 when they did that. And the rest of it has been pretty much a fairy tale. And you've, you said that you are, are you, are you the you run the first official overseas supporters yeah. club. Is that right? The Norse Dons. Yeah, actually we are the, I wasn't involved back then, but the Norse Dons is actually the first official supporters club that AFC Wimbledon ever had. Oh, I see. Uh, so we have a very strong relationship with the club, with the management we've had. So over the years, it's, it's really, really fun. And so um, Hans, who started this back in 2002, has kind of let me run things over the last few years. So, yeah, it's a small supporters club. I mean, there's like a following of maybe 40 or 50 of us that follow the team regularly from Norway. So it's not big, but it's it's a lot of fun. 
I would say that's that's fairly fairly big. Forty, fifty supporters in a uh, in a different country for a club the size of AFC Wimbledon's size. I think that's I think that's great stuff. Well, there are. I mean, there's a reason behind me following England as well. There are just a huge following of English football in in Norway, and I, I I've known this over the years, but I didn't realize it until actually I flew over to Manchester for those uh, flights we did back then. The the Manchester United Supporters Club in Norway, back then, this was about five years ago, they had 460 season passes at Old Trafford. Really? It was just, I was blown away. And they said there's about a thousand Scandinavians on every home game at Old Trafford. So it's quite, it's quite uh, big numbers. And it's, uh, well, I hope, kind of want to put this message in for your listeners i know there's a big debate and there should be about the the english football the english game and all the all the fans coming in from overseas all the tourists you know the asians and so on with their ipads sitting alongside and more interested in taking pictures than actually following the game uh for us scandinavians it's different we grew up with english football so our love for the game is is quite a bit different from i think the spectacle that goes on with other fans that are coming in because of all the the fame that's now come along with uh, with the Premier League. Yeah, the big brand that is the Premier League. Yes, you're right. So England then, how, why, <laughs> when? How did it all come about for you personally? Well, when you, well, back when I grew up um, in the 80s, it would be normal to have a team in Norway to follow, but it would I would say it would be even more normal to have a team in England to follow. I mean, everybody who follows football back then would have a team in England to follow. So when you're, when you're following English football, at the same time for me, with all the players and um, all my favorite players and so on, when it came to championship time, and Norway at the time wasn't a big football nation so for me it was England and uh, 1990 was a huge huge tournament for me Um, and those memories will live on forever and and that kind of sealed it and and ever since I couldn't really give up on it I mean it was I became more interested in following the English national team than the Norway and I'm not the only one I mean there are a lot of people in Norway that look forward for the tournaments and they really look forward to see how England will, um, how they will perform this year. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a strange thing. But for us Norwegians, it's, I would say, a little bit of a normal thing as well. Yeah. So when was the, the first England game that you got to see uh, in the flesh? Well, I didn't start traveling until... My later years, I went to the 2006 tournament in Germany, but I wasn't able to get any tickets. So I would be in the fan zone um, for that one. And so I've, I have traveled for the tournaments. So the 2010 tournament in, in South Africa was the first one that I had tickets for the England games. Okay. Yeah. So I had a great time down there and met a lot of great people. And um, I've been traveling to every tournament since. Amazing stuff, and and coming over to Wembley as well for the uh, for the home games. Actually, it's a strange thing, but I never have because for me, money wise, over the years, it's been traveling to London. I kind of feel obliged 
to prioritize traveling for the Wimbledon Games. So, right. yeah, traveling to England, it's always been for the Wimbledon Games, especially I enjoy traveling for the away games with Wimbledon when, as you know, you know, you get there. The fans um, crowded together in the way section, and it's uh, so it's been a you know kind of a money thing, uh, mm. trying to prioritize the tournaments for England, and then I I've been traveling for the Wimbledon Games when I go to England. Yeah, I understand. I mean, the there must be a, a time when conflict between England and Norway comes up. I, I've looked back through the stats, uh, the games between the two. There's been. 12 games between England versus Norway, seven wins, three draws and two losses. And the most recent ones, there was there was a Wembley game in 2014 uh, and there was a, uh, a game in Oslo in 2012. England won both of them by a goal to nil. Did you, did you go to the one in Oslo? I couldn't. I was not, um, I can't remember why, but I was not in Norway at the time. I was just briefly looking through it um, before you you phoned me up. So I did not. Um, What I do remember really well is the qualification games before the 94 tournament in the USA, I believe. Okay, yes. When uh, England shared the group together with Norway and Holland, and uh, we beat England, um, must have been two one, I think, or at uh, in Oslo, or uh, anyway, uh, Norway beat England, and I have to say, all my classmates had a had a big uh, laugh of that of me <laughs> the, day after, the day after, yeah. Uh, so it's um, yeah, yeah. I was, I was. Uh, it was a strange thing. I was really, really hoping for England to win. And uh, at the same time, it was a, it was a big qualification um, game. I mean, Norway qualified for the World Cup, so it was it was a big game for Norway. Yeah, there was one event that famously happened. It was I mean, I don't whilst I was alive, I don't remember it, but folklore. Uh, it always comes up, and it, it was actually a uh, a famous Norwegian commentator, which I'm sh- I'm sure you're aware of. Is it Bjorn Lillelen? Yeah, Bjor- um Well, in Norwegian, it's Bjørge Lillelen. It's uh, it's another name. It's hard to pronounce. Yes. So yeah. yeah. So Norway beat England, England yes. in 1981, uh, and famously, uh, right at the final whistle, he he was. Um, pulling out all famous English people, be it um, who was it, Henry Cooper, Lady Diana, Maggie Thatcher. Your boys took one hell of a beating, and it's it's very famous over here. Um, I mean, are you aware of that? Oh yes, it's very famous in Norway as well. Well, I do not remember the incident. I was three years old at the time, but it's it's a famous uh, it's a famous commentary in, in Norway, um, partly because it's. Um, it's 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 a funny commentary, but also it was just a huge game for Norway to beat England, and that's because of the it's because of the love of the of the English football that is shared among Norwegians. So then to beat this mighty England um, was just huge, and um, so it, it's it's both the commentary and and the fact that it was England, and and it, so it became um, something that was a bit of a pride back then, yes. Sort of a, uh, a backhanded compliment, almost, I guess. Yes, absolutely. England, England, Shempish Ferdinand, Lord Nelson, Lord Babybrook, Sir Winston Churchill, Sir Anthony Eden, 
Clement Atli, Henry Cooper, Lady Diana. Vi har slått dem alle sammen. Vi har slått dem alle sammen. Maggie Thatcher, can you hear me? Maggie Thatcher, jeg har et budskap til dig midt under valgkampen. Vi har et budskap til dig. Vi har slått England ut av verdensmesterskapet i fotball. Maggie Thatcher, om de, som de sier på ditt språk i boksebarene rundt Madison Square Garden i New York. Your boys took a hell of a beating. Your boys took a hell of a beating. For Maggie Thatcher, Norge har slått England i fotball. Vi er best i verden. It's Norway 2, England 1. What a fabulous night for football. Special studio. So, you, we mentioned at the beginning of our chat there, you've met lots of England supporters on the way uh, following England yourself. How, how did all of these come about? Well, it's just these strange uh, coincidences when you travel, and I believe that's part of the reason... It's, it's it's definitely part of the reason why I love to travel uh, and uh, with the uh, with English fans um, and I'm sure a lot of other people share the same passion that you travel abroad and you meet people and uh, who share the same interest. Of course, everyone asks the question why are you why are you following England? You're from Norway, and then as soon as I. I as soon as I explain why, and 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 I think a lot of people understand the the love for the game in, in Scandinavia, um, so I get kind of accepted pretty fast, and 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 I met so many so many great people, and um, a few of them are good friends um, to this day. I met um, like Ryan Chapman, who I met on the night bus traveling to Bloemfontein in in. Um, from Cape Town to Bloemfontein in South Africa. It was a 10, 11 hour night ride before the Germany-England game. Um, he's a Cambridge um, fan and um, I've met him since in Brazil. I met him in Ukraine and um, I've been, it was, I was very happy when he traveled down with, uh, with Cambridge when they played Wimbledon when we were in the same division. So it's, it's things like that. It's just uh, for me, it just means a lot to me. Absolutely. And you say you, you know Dean Cornish, an England fan. Well, Dean is a strange story. We, I was in, um, that's really a strange story. I, I, um, I had a big AFC Wimbledon flag. And it, this was back in 2012 for the Euros in Kiev. And all the Ukrainians were, we noticed during the day they were all taking pictures with the flags as we were hanging the flags up yeah. and as we were going to the bars and so on and and for the match we laid the flags out um in front all all in front and then after the match uh, the stewards would throw the flags back we were just standing next to the ukrainians and a lot of the flags got stolen so my flag got stolen i was oh. staying behind for a long time looking for my flag and I couldn't find it. And as I was going through the chairs, I found this big, big England flag that obviously had traveled a lot. And it said Stamford on it. And I was the only one left. I mean, everybody was gone. I was still looking desperately for my flag. And um, so I had this flag in my hands and I was thinking, I can't just leave this behind. So I brought it with me and got back to Norway looked up Stamford FC on, on the internet, sent them a message, and uh, sure, yeah, Dean was missing his flag, and I mailed it over. And um, it, was, I was, it was really, really 
happy times when we met for the in um, in Russia for the World Cup, and finally we we got to have a a pint together. Oh, great stuff! Oh, well, that's good that that's um, well having had one of my flags stolen um, to hear that someone has gone out of their way to to find the owner of a, uh, a flag and and I know I can picture the Stanford flag so oh nice one that's that's a really great story no nice one and going forward this year obviously we know that there's no euro 2020 to be done and hopefully it will be be next year what what are your thoughts going forward for England next year oh i think uh, what what Gareth Southgate is doing is 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 something to really, really look forward to. He's he's building, I believe he's building some some sort of character into a team that, like I said, when I kind of was distancing myself from football a bit because of all the money and all the all the all the f- glamour and famousness of of the, of the players, what 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 Southgate is doing, I believe, is kind of bringing these let's not call them megastars but somehow they are and just bringing them back down to earth and and reminding them i believe well at least that's what i try to tell myself that he's doing is reminding them how the the passion for the game and and what what the tournaments and what the national team means and and uh, and and then so so it's 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 really enjoyable to watch that part i believe and and i think he's got some good characters and uh, and uh, i believe like like harry kane um his commitment to the team i i think i think there's uh, there's and there's so much talent there's so much talent and there's uh, so much uh, young players coming in so with experience um yeah this can be something really big yes and I mean, there is a distinct possibility, I believe, that that Norway could actually make it to the finals. That they're in the, am I right in saying they're in the playoffs with Scotland? Yes, they are. I'm. I'm I kind of. I was looking through the schedule for the Euros that when I was planning my travelling for for the summer this year, and um, I believe Norway's got. A, well, they have Serbia, I know, for the next game, and then. Possibly, I think it's Scotland for the last playoff game. So, if I remember correctly, and if they don't change it by any means now, then uh, I believe England will either have Scotland or or Norway. I, I mean, it's a great possibility. It's going to be yeah. Scotland or Norway uh, for one of the uh, for one of the group games for the next Euros. Yes. Yeah. Well, you, you may have the chance to uh, those school friends from a few years back that were laughing at you. You may have the uh, the last laugh this time. Oh, absolutely, I would love that. But I have to say though that um, if I could choose, um, I think England Scotland would be um, a tremendous uh, group game. Like uh, you know, who can forget Gasa back in ninety um, six? You know, yeah. Yeah, no, we've uh, we've had some good games with with Scotland over the years, and well, who knows? We'll uh, just who knows on the whole, whatever's going to happen at the moment. But uh, yeah, we keep our fingers crossed that it will it will happen next year, and we'll have some international football to look forward to. Okay, well, I'd like to say thank you very much, um, Andre, for your time, and well, who knows? In the future, we may cross paths and and say hello to each other. Well, thank you, and, and um, I'd love to. I mean, that's. Uh... 
a huge part of me traveling uh, for the games is, of course, to share beers, uh, to have beers with um, with the fellow football fans. Yeah, love it. Well, thank you very much, and uh, look after yourself. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening and indeed thank you to Tom and Andre. Both are on Twitter and you can find them both at at Tom underscore Gale and at Climber Andre, K-L-I-M-A-E-N-D-R-E. Now coming your way in July, we'll have the last in our series of England at the European Championships. We'll do another listener's first England away game And I have an interview with someone about a very special England team coming up. Now, if you are new to the show, hello. Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do at Three Lions Podcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Again, just search Three Lions Podcast. And as I've said before, if you do have any ideas for a future episode or series, please do drop me a line. It's as much yours as it is mine, this podcast. So please stay subscribed. And of course, most importantly, stay safe. Until the next time, cheers. Cheers.